0: Welcome to Unsafe Space. I'm Carter Laren, and I'm joined by my co host, as always, the Bad Mamma Jamma, Carrie Smith. Carrie, say hello. Hi, Carter. Follow us, please, on YouTube. Subscribe to us on YouTube. We're trying to get some decent amount of subscribers. Uh, everyone says they're surprised at how low our subscriber count is because they really like our content. Hint, hint. So, you know, help us out. Um, Today, we're joined by Sal Mayweather. Sal describes himself as an agorist, cypherpunk, disintermediator, crypto-anarchist, and Rothbardian. He's the host of the Agora podcast. Um, But what I like most about Sal is that he's a master of memes. Um, Whenever I need to laugh at something that's going on, uh, especially when my only alternative is to cry, uh, I I turn to his Twitter feed, um, and he never lets me down. Sal, thank you for joining us on Unsafe Space. Welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it.
1: I'm gonna need some definitions for some of those.
0: I know this is that we can start <laughs> right away, Carrie, because I know you're gonna need <laughs> definitions. So go. Why don't you just start by asking for definitions, Carrie?
1: Uh, Crypto anarchist.
2: Well, basically, um, kind of all those terms are basically synonyms, I guess, in a sense. Um, Crypto anarchy is basically just the idea. It's very closely related to uh cypherpunks it's just the idea that we can use code and uh, to, to as a tool to free ourselves and our neighbors so we look at things like tor or the blockchain and those are great examples of how effective we can uh, how effective code can be in using it to liberate ourselves
1: so tor and now imagine you're talking to dummies okay <laughs> tor let's explain this so that i understand it which if, if i understand it then i'm pretty sure our audience will right um from what I understand, that's it's just a browser that's like a private, hidden browser, right? Well, nobody can track you. Is that it?
2: Um, more or less. I'm sure they could, if they want to, they'll they'll find out what you're doing. But uh, Tor uses um, encryption, and I'm not a, a computer guy, but um, <clears throat> what I can tell you is this: There's a, a good. There's another podcast called The Techno Agorist, and he has a whole episode on encryption. And uh, if I understand what he's saying correctly. Basically, you have the, uh, these onion sites that, are, that operate with, on the network, in the Tor network. So, uh, all of these dot onion sites that you'll find like the Alpha Bay or the Silk Road on, all these black market uh, illicit, uh, illicit sites, they're basically operating on uh, a network underneath the regular internet. And that's, I guess, that's how they're able to. Uh, I think the military invented it, to be honest with
0: you. But we, yeah, actually, we, the we, navy. I think. Uh, I think was it the naval S- surface warfare center? Someone.
2: Yeah, I'm not like I said. I'm not a big uh, computer kind of fellow, but um, it is an excellent tool for counter economics and agorists, as Ross Ulbricht has proven, obviously.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think it. I I'm not sure about the architecture. Uh, of Tor, but I, my understanding was that it was something similar to BitTorrent where um, there's actually uh, like a support network that's kind of required to anonymize um, traffic. But I'm not totally sure. I, I haven't studied
2: Tor. Yeah, something like that. Like, like I said, my go to on stuff like this and the technical uh, aspects of Agorism would be the Techno Agorist. Follow him on Twitter. He's got a, a new show. It's pretty cool. And like I said, he goes uh, in depth on all of those
0: uh, topics much better than I ever could. Yeah, yeah. I ironically, I I was a cryptographer for twelve years, but uh, oh gosh, I just so never so studied awesome Tor. Answer. I don't know the Tor protocol, so I can't answer any questions. Oh, uh, so, okay. So you're you're the in-house expert then? <laughs> uh, it, not not if I don't study. Uh, <laughs> if, if I don't know the protocol, I'm not. I'm pretty useless. I can tell you how it theoretically might work, but that doesn't mean that's true. Okay. Um, so okay. So that's uh, that's a crypto anarchist. Actually, can you describe what an agorist is?
2: Yeah, of course. Um, It's basically agorism is uh, synonymous with counter economics. Basically, we believe that uh, the only way, the best way and the only way to free ourselves is by using free market principles to subvert or undermine uh, state imposed cartels or monopolies. Uh, things like we use the blockchain to disrupt the, or disintermediate the Federal Reserve, or we use 3D printers to disintermediate the ATF and the parasites who work in that department, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, CNC milling machines would be another good example of how we kind of
0: use technology to, so, to subvert the the leeches. So can you just describe, um, I assume Kerry actually knows this already, but uh, our audience might not Maybe just describe uh, what, what the problem with the Fed is from a very high-level perspective in fiat currency and what you mean by, like, why, why have an alternate means of transacting outside of that system?
2: Well, the Federal Reserve is a cartel. It's a criminal cartel um, maintained in a compulsory fashion by the state, and they have a monopoly on, uh, on, on money, on the printing money. Normally, this would be a, a function of the market, but they are, uh, they're robbing us through inflation. And of course, you know, anytime you give somebody a monopoly, they're going to abuse that power. So what they do is they just print and print and print, and every time they want to, or they can't raise taxes, but they want to, to fund one of their um, genocides or their mass murdering sprees on the other side of the world, or one of their uh, economically illiterate um, welfare programs. Instead of taxing us, what, what, they, what they do is they just print more money. So it's like you're, you're still paying a tax. It's just that you don't see it on your, coming out of your paycheck. It's, right. it's, it's hidden tax, I think is what Ron Paul calls it. Yep. So, um, you know, we prefer things like uh, basically anything that's not a Federal Reserve note. Uh, you know, people say, oh, you're, you're diehard into Bitcoin. What about gold? I said, look, I don't care if people trade salt again. I don't care if they trade seashells. As long as we're not using the uh, criminal notes of a banking cartel, I'm a happy camper. And, of course, every time you transact in Bitcoin or silver or gold or salt or seashells, you're taking business away from the cartel. So that's why I'm a fan of alternative currencies.
1: So just so I understand, is fiat currency – that means it's not tied to, there's not, there's an unlimited number, right? Or supply.
2: So what it means is essentially it's just, uh, it's money by fiat. So in other words, it's, uh, they're just declaring this to be money. It has no, um, it wouldn't, it would never be money in a normal market, uh, a normal free market, because why would people trade, uh, pieces of paper and doesn't make any sense. Unless of course, you know, you're using actual, uh, receipts from a bank based on gold or silver deposits. But that's a a different story. But fiat just means it's by declaration,
0: money by declaration. And maybe a lot of people don't know, um, the US originally, I mean, I'm sure people have heard this, but there was a gold standard. It used to be that you could take your your dollar and go and get a certain amount of gold. in the dollar in exchange for this. And it was, so it was backed, at least it was backed, it was still a monopoly owned by the state, but it, it was backed by something, it meant something. So that, that, that was really a receipt, you used the word receipt, right? That was a receipt for store, something that was stored that you could go You go to the government and say, I want my silver or I want my gold, here, give it to me. Um, and they would give it to you. And um, the problem with that is it, uh, it limits all the things that Sal was just talking about, right? It limits their ability to spend money they don't have because they have to have gold to back the money. So if you wanna if you want to promise shit to people and get elected, or you wanna go blow people up on the other side of the world, because that's a lot of fun, um, then you need a way to fund that. And so over time, what's happened in the US is that it's been detached from uh, any actual physical asset, and now it's pure fiat money. And the problem is the US is the world's reserve currency, so everyone else's currency is also, it's basically attached to the U.S. And once the US, the U.S. currency was detached from gold, now nothing is attached to anything. Was,
1: really. That was in the 70s, right?
0: It was finally detached in the 70s under, was it Nixon? Yeah. So, yeah. But it started in like 1913 or something. It started earlier.
2: The Federal Reserve Act was passed in 1913, um, February 23rd, 1913. But like you said, you know, you were still able to, we saw the gold window open until Nixon, but prior to that, um, you know, in the, in the 19th century, you know, as you were describing, people would actually take physical gold and silver to a secure location that was referred to as a bank and they would deposit it and then the banker would issue a receipt for, if you have, you know, $100 worth of gold, and then you could take that receipt. And what they would do is they would just, instead of walking around with a brick of gold on you, walk around with this receipt and say, okay, here's your money, you know, proof that I have $100 worth of gold on deposit at so-and-so's bank. And, you know, there would be bank runs and stuff like that. And uh, it was not nearly as bad as it is today with central banking. But those were just, uh, you know, uh, I hesitate to use the word "normal market occurrences" because uh, even a lot of those bank runs and recessions were caused by um, the state. You know, Rothbard has a good uh, thesis, the Panic of eighteen nineteen, where he goes into that a little bit more.
0: Right. So, Carrie, I, I'm I don't want to treat you like a remedial child, but I know your eyes tend to gloss over Please when do. money comes <laughs> up. So. Are you following yeah. all of this? Or are there I'm questions? following
1: a little bit of it. So I have a I have a friend who's a Bitcoin enthusiast and he got me into it a year and a half ago or so. And he gave me a two-hour Bitcoin for dummies call, a conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm wondering now if he's an agorist or crypto anarchist because he, he basically talked to me about Bitcoin as not an investment thing, but more of a, like, he doesn't believe that our vote matters. He said, this is my vote like putting my money, taking my money out of fiat currency and putting it into to the new technology to blockchain is the way that I vote. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Whether he knows it or not, he is participating in agorism. A hundred percent. You know, that's, that's the name of the game right there.
0: Right. Now, what do you think about, so my big concern, uh, I mean, I love, I love the idea of blockchain. My big concern was always... Um, at the end of the day, we're, you know, we're run by this, we've got people in power who've got guns. And uh, if I want to buy something, they're going to point a gun at me when I have to convert my blockchain into milk at the store and force, you know, right now they're actually forcing, uh, forcing you to account for all the blockchain transactions, which I think you can obfuscate by going through um, some anonymizers, but most people don't. Uh, and so you can actually trace all of that pretty well. Um, what's your What's your thought on kind of the future of blockchain? Because, um, do guns win in the end, or or does blockchain survive? I think
2: technology wins. The market always wins. And we look at um, tools that we have available today. Like I think you you mentioned, uh, for example, Cash Shuffle, where it'll actually take the funds in your wallet and just send them around so that the funds aren't actually traceable. Because that's you know a big problem is that. If you and I make a black market transaction and they, they, can, they realize what you've done, they could track go into your wallet and look at the money and look where it's been and look where it went and they could seize those funds. But with cash shuffle, they are, they're not able to do that, thank God. But regardless, any of these technological problems that we come across, we're going to win. We're going to win. The state is a fish out of water right now. Uh, just kind of flopping around, gasping for air, even though it doesn't seem like that. Victory is inevitable. We're, liberty will always win. We're going to win. And it's just, it's a, frankly a matter of time and whether or not they want to go down without a fight or not. But blockchain is, uh, I'm super, super excited about blockchain. People always talk about using it to, you know, we've been like, just uh, we've been discussing, using it to subvert the Federal Reserve, but there are so many other applications for the blockchain. Like I, I've been uh, really big on um, tokens, tokenization of everything. I think that you know Rothbard speaks about compulsory cartelization, and uh, you know just as we've been describing how the Fed is a cartel, and I am of the belief that tokens will successfully disintermediate Finra and the SEC, which will free up an enormous amount of capital for people all around the world. I think it's going to be absolutely huge, and I don't think people really understand that yet. One of my friends at I've had him on the show. He's a developer at Bitcoin.com, Gabriel Cardona. He's he used the term to Cambrian explosion. Oh, and, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think it was, uh, I forget the guy's name. He's the head of NASDAQ or he was the head of NASDAQ. And he says that, um, or he said that uh, as of now, um, 100% of stocks and bonds could be tokenized. And in five years, 100% of stocks and bonds will be tokenized. So I'm really uh, pushing for this. You know, I think we also need, there's some other things that go into it. We need um, decentralized uh, exchanges that are token specific. Uh, But as of right now, there's nothing stopping a small business owner from tokenizing their business rather than issuing shares. And there isn't a goddamn thing that the FINRA cartel can do about it. And I think that's a, a great thing.
1: Yeah. Can, can, uh, is it too much to ask that week? Cause I'm just sitting here thinking you you asked if my eyes are glazing over and I do have the kind of, I'm kidding. (laughs) I do have the benefit of that two hour conversation so I can follow along, you know, but I'm wondering if, would it be okay if we just, you just do that explanation of what Bitcoin is like for dummies? Like it's, it, cause it's, I don't think people realize there's like a limited number of Bitcoin. Right. And that's, and, and the guy who created it is some mysterious is he mysterious? there's some story yeah, behind that? Yeah,
0: no, no one knows who it actually is.: Is this Sal, too much I mean, you want to okay. give a quick overview, Sal I mean um, And so far as who Satoshi is, uh,
2: that's, a, that's a, um, a very controversial topic that oh. I've, I've dipped my toes in that water before and I've gotten uh, bit by the sharks. I don't know. I really have no idea. I've got my own theories. Um, I had Craig Wright on the show. He claims to be Satoshi. Um, a lot of people think it's Hal Finney. I don't. I don't believe it is. I think if you go back and you uh, read the original um, Bitcoin Talk forums, I think it's pretty clear it's not Hal. I also think that it's. Pro- I think it's probably more than one person, because uh, Satoshi refers to himself as "we" a couple times in that in that forum in the very original first posts. So I mean, who it is, I don't know. Uh, if I was going to take a random shot in the dark, there is a professor. Um, in Europe, I believe, who's working right now with Cardano. And his name his name is, uh, shit, I can't remember his first name. His last name is Chakravarti. I follow him on Twitter. And I'm, I've been, I've become increasingly suspicious of him. But uh, who knows? And I think it's probably better that we don't know. Because if we did, then every time there's debate in the crypto space, everybody would turn to him and say, well, what's the answer? What's the correct answer? Should we raise the block? Should we not? Should we should we roll back the chain like cz just said or should we not so
1: yep, but but like what is bitcoin itself because i think explaining it to no no, i didn't it's still like I, there was a day a year ago so where i thought my phone had been hacked and i'd lost my bitcoin and i was imagining having to talk to the police and i was like well in my bread wallet uh i forgot the magic numbers and then my magic money was gone and <laughs> Just like the idea of explaining it to someone who doesn't know what it is. And so it's, it's, it's digital currency in the most layman's terms, digital currency, every transaction, it happens in the public square, right? So that it's recorded. So there's no, um, th- there's, there's accountability because everyone sees every transaction. Is that right? I
2: mean, even as even the definition could be controversial, right? So okay. the first- The first line of the white paper says that it's a peer-to-peer electronic cash. Uh, That idea has kind of changed over time and now we're calling it a store of value. Depends on who you ask though. Um, Essentially all it is is an electronic form of currency, a digital form of currency that uh, does not require a trusted third party, but I'm sure the, the cryptographer can give a better answer than I can. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, the analogy I would use, Carrie, is uh, so, in, so we think of ancient cultures as always using like uh, goats or salt or whatever to exchange as exchanges of value. Um, but I, I believe there's a few examples of ancient cultures where instead of actually having a physical thing that they would pass around in like the equivalent of the town square, there would just be a public ledger. And they would write down Carter got two chickens from Carrie. So he's down two chickens, right? Carrie, you know, Carrie gave someone else a sheep or whatever it is, right? And it was public. So, um, and you could see if someone was changing it. So it was very difficult to like, change your public status and be like, no, 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 Carter paid his chickens back, right? Like, I couldn't really get away with that because it <laughs> fun of everyone, right? Um, and so really, uh, if I if I really simplify, the blockchain, that's the, the best analogy that I use for like layman, which is like, instead of it being, there's not a Bitcoin that you send to someone else. There's a publicly, uh, secu- it's publicly secure, we'll say, by, by the fact that it's um, very difficult to change unless you control most of the network. So let's just assume that you can't really change it unless you control most of the Bitcoin network yourself. Um, there's this public ledger that's immutable, um, And when you do a transaction, if you send Sal money, all you're doing is writing an entry in that ledger. That's like, I owe Sal blankety blank. Hmm. That's all that's happening. Um, And Sal, to show that he's got it, it's like, because you don't write I owe Sal, you write wallet number 234 gives wallet number 123 this, right? And so he just says like, yeah, he doesn't even have to show that he owns wallet 123. He just, when he has to go spend it, then he's like, well, I have access to wallet 123, so I'm going to say wallet 123 assigns it to 456. Right. Um and that's kind of how it that's kind of how it works. There's not there's you're not sending an actual coin around. You're just updating a large Excel spreadsheet in the cloud, kind of.
2: Professor Abdullah Tonsil is a. he's here in New York at CUNY and he teaches computer science. And the way he, t- he told me to think about it was He says that the the, the blockchain is is a marriage between databases and cryptography. And I think that's a really uh, pretty uh, solid definition.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's that the cryptography comes into play um, by preventing changing of that ledger that's out in the cloud, right? That's where the crypto comes into play. Absolutely. Thank
1: you, guys. I I didn't mean to derail for too long, but...
0: No, no, that's, that's helpful. Uh, I, I, if, if you needed it, probably other people needed it as well. Um, so, but then the, the concept of blockchain, Sal, as you were talking about has expanded beyond just currency. Why don't you explain like what tokenization is and what else the blockchain is useful for? Cause I think maybe people don't understand that we just talked about money, but as you mentioned, it's kind of grown beyond that.
2: Well, they're using the blockchain for all sorts of things, right? There's, um, bit nation where they're trying to, uh, rather than you can actually, uh, sign up to become a citizen of BitNation and they're going to be the government and they're going to help try to provide basic services uh, via the blockchain. But for counter-economic purposes, uh, I'm mainly focused on remaining the Federal Reserve and tokenization. So tokenization, essentially, rather than – when you take your company public, rather than issuing shares and uh, applying to the SEC for – this super expensive, long, complicated registration process, you're essentially begging them for permission to be subjected to their guidelines for the rest of your life. So that's not the most appealing uh, decision that a business owner is going to make, but now you don't have to, now you can instead issue tokens. And if you want to issue a million shares or a million tokens, you can, and it's super, super simple. So um, I just put out an article yesterday on the, the new libertarian blog about um, SLP tokens in electron cash, which is uh, runs on top of Bitcoin cash, and uh, it's one of the easiest uh, it's so simple that I think even Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez could probably get this done properly. <laughs> it, it, you, they, you want to talk about uh, foolproof. I mean, you can't screw this
0: up. <laughs> so. so wait I, a this, this is, sorry. Go ahead. I don't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. Now I'm
1: gonna say, explaining like you explain it to me, like you would explain to AOC.
2: Okay. Okay. So um, so rather than issuing shares of your company, you issue tokens, and then you could distribute those tokens uh, to investors, friends, family, whoever. That's why I said it's so important to have a decentralized exchange that's token specific, because. Uh, Normally, if you issued shares of your company and you went public on NASDAQ or, uh, you know, S&P or something like that, you would need to find a broker. The broker is going to uh, push your shares to their investors and stuff like that. So now you can issue tokens on the blockchain, but we don't have that broker to uh, distribute these funds. That's why we need an exchange, right? So Patrick Byrne, an excellent libertarian. Um, has created T0, which is a a token-specific exchange, but it's highly centralized. So FINRA went up to him right away and with their hand out and give me my money. And, you know, thank God Patrick Byrne has a shit ton of money, so he did. But that's not useful for us. It's not useful for counter-economic purposes. So we have these decentralized exchanges. And I'm hoping and praying and waiting for someone, some agorist out there, to create one of these DEXs that is uh, specific for tokens, that only allows you to trade tokens, whether they're ERC20 tokens or uh, SLP tokens, whatever the case may be. And I think that when we get those two combinations of things, we're gonna be in a much better place. You know, There's an article by Per Byland on LouRockwell.com where he discusses counter-economics in depth, and he identifies two types of counter-economics, vertical counter-economics and horizontal counter-economics. So um horizontal counter economics comes from uh, Sam Konkin and this book, this book, sorry, and basically all that is is peer to peer unregulated trade and vertical counter economics comes from that book that's Wait, community, what community, is that book: That's Community Technology by Carl Hess and uh Horizontal counter-economics is basically just creating local production facilities that bypass um, state regulation. So what Per Bilen says is that when we combine these two strategies, the horizontal and the vertical strategies, we really get the most powerful synthesis that the state really can't. um, They have a really difficult time uh, fighting back against that. And we can see that in terms of Bitcoin, right? So the miners are basically the local production facilities creating the money. And then me and you, every time we trade the Bitcoin, we're uh, participating in the horizontal aspect of things. Same thing goes with 3D printers and uh, printing guns, right? A 3D printer is an excellent example of a local production facility that bypasses state regulation. Now when you take your, whatever it is that you're 3D printing that's on the black market, I wouldn't know, and you take those items and you distribute them to your friends and family. But you've heard about it. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about it. I've seen videos. (laughs) <laughs> but when you combine those two things what can the state do about it nothing i'm mean, sure they can arrest you if they find out what you're doing and stuff like that but it makes it very difficult for them to uh to fight back right
0: right do you got that carrie are you good
1: i think i'm good no i'm kidding I, I i would need to i need to read what was the first book you held up
0: this is the new libertarian
2: manifesto that's by sam conkin that is, um, this is probably the best book on agorism that I could uh, think about right now. There's also a book I don't have with me by Janiel Neal Shulman called Alongside Night. And uh, that book describes the agorist revolution. And it's also the book that inspired Ross Ulbricht to create The Silk Road. So um, that book you can actually get for free. And it's actually a movie too, which is also available for free on YouTube. I think it's got... Um, who's the guy who played Hercules remember back in the day? Oh crap. He's in the movie. Remember. Kevin okay. Sorbo, Kevin Sorbo. He's, he's like one of the, the big names in the movie. So,
0: so just to, uh, I'm going to try and, uh, anticipate carry concerns. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I think to a lot of people, the idea of a minimal government or, uh, even no government, um, is really scary because they, they view this as like, oh my God, who's gonna, who's gonna prevent people from just running around murdering everyone? And uh, what, what chaos will ensue? Um, and I don't want to place the burden of uh, arguing against that all on you, but I'm sure you get that uh, frequently. Um, what, do you tell, what do you tell people when that's their big concern? Well, look around. We, we have now
2: is chaos, right? We have police shooting children, seven-year-old girls. They're, they're grenading seven-year-old girls, um, strangling people over a five cent tax for cigarettes. They're running people over for, for, for doing graffiti. They're murdering uh, God only knows how many people on the other side of the world every day. They've got wars in a whole host of countries. This is chaos. This is um, the bad side. Anarchy um, is, to me, it's is, is ironically, is order. Um, yeah. You know, another, I hate to keep throwing books out there and keep deferring to books, but Bob Murphy has a great book called Chaos Theory where he really goes into all the specific details of how it would work. And uh, the one takeaway I have from that book is that in an anarcho-capitalist society, things might even be more tightly regulated than they are today, but it would just be... Um, in a voluntary fashion rather than with the government, putting a gun to your head and telling you what to do. We would have things like insurance companies with, um, super high premiums on risky behavior and things like that. But what we have today is chaos and anarchy and voluntarism and uh, not ingressing on people. That's what we should be striving for.
0: Yeah. It's the ultimate, it's the ultimate peaceful outlook on life, which is, I don't want to point a gun at you. Uh, don't point a gun at me. Let's just agree. Um,
1: so, do you not believe in? Do you not believe in uh, the importance of having like national security? Or are those things? Oh, okay.
2: No, no, not at all. In fact, um, when any any job that you give to the government, they're gonna they're gonna fuck it up. And we saw what we saw how seriously they take our security on 9-11, Right. <clears throat> so they have a monopoly on providing protection, and they didn't. Right. You can, there's, you know, three, 4,000 dead people on 9-11. What I always like to ask people is imagine if you were an entrepreneur at the head of an insurance company and you had policies out on all the skyscrapers in Manhattan on 9-11, you would be incentivized voluntarily to provide protection for lower Manhattan, right? Because if those buildings go down, you're going to have to pay out hundreds of millions or billions of dollars, right? So if you were this entrepreneur insurance company, chances are you would have had an armada sitting off the coast of Manhattan waiting for something like this to go down, and you probably would have stopped it before it happened because you don't want to pay out that enormous, uh, you don't want to have that enormous payout on your hands. The state has no accountability to the market, so as far as they're concerned, oops, three, four thousand dead people, sorry, we'll try better next time. In the market, if your insurance company let this happen, you would say, when you rebuild your buildings, you would say, I'm never going to go with that insurance company ever again because they've provided such terrible protection services. I'm going to go with Company B instead. Now, Company B is going to say, well, look what happened. I don't want to do that. Let's do things better than the way it was done in the past.
1: That's, it's, it's, go ahead. No, I'm just saying that's a lot for me to wrap my head around. You should know two years ago I was a full-on SJW. I've made <laughs> a lot of changes in the past two years. This is almost too much well, for
2: <laughs> I, I, is um it's it's the most radical form of anarchism. So it, it you are you're coming to the full full spectrum now.
0: <laughs> it's as far away as you can get from uh totalitarian SJWism. Yeah. <laughs> so uh we're not we're we're beyond libertarian here. Absolutely uh, for this for this conversation. Um yeah it's it's always funny to me when when people are like well, you know, without governments, we wouldn't be safe. And it's like, have you looked at the death count in go the past? Paper. Governments? <laughs> like, yeah, just, just go take a look. Even just their own citizens, not even counting the wars. Yeah, um, right. It, it's astronomical. I mean, the number of Einsteins that we have lost is, is just unbelievably tragic. Yes. We probably lost the cure to cancer 80 times over
2: absolutely that's such an important point that um no one really ever considers that how many people were murdered by the state or how many people's parents or grandparents uh, were murdered by the state they never came to fruition that would have solved uh theories and physics and like you said uh, you know all kinds of problems medical issues technological innovations they really are the biggest um to me the state is evil i think it's synonymous with evil and
0: anarchy is synonymous with good. I, I think the fundamental difference honestly between statists and non-statists is you correct me if i'm wrong but this is i'm just coming up with this on the fly it seems to me one of the fundamental differences is uh non-statists view people as assets and statists view people as liabilities um, absolutely that's the that's the difference right um yeah absolutely they look at us as a, as
2: the they think that we're expendable
0: yeah and and they're and something that has to be protected against and managed and groomed or whatever it is Um, and non-statists are like, no, people are great. People invent things and they, their assets, their assets to the world. Um, Yeah. Or, you know, just like the argument we were just discussing, well, there would be chaos
2: and how would you protect property and how would you do this and how would you do that? Because first of all, a lot of these ideas are new to a lot of people and you can't blame um, those individuals, but there are some people who are, um, you know, you can show people the door, but you can't make them walk through it. So there are some people who are always going uh, to—they're always going to fall back to what they know, and that's okay. That's okay. They're those those people. Honestly, to tell you the truth, as time goes on, they're going to die off, and uh, it's going to be only the liberty-friendly people that that remain.
0: Well, it depends how we raise our children, too, right? Because if you raise your children—I'm a a parent, so um, this is something I had to think about when I became a dad, right? If you raise your children in an environment that teaches them that might is right, and I'm right because I'm the authority um then then they really will grow up to be very accepting of state authority but if you raise them in an environment that's like look we have to negotiate everything uh, i don't have any more rights than you do yes i'm responsible for your health and safety and blah 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 and, and you know obviously you wean them off of you, know, you, you still grab them before they run into traffic when they're three i'm not suggesting that you just like try yeah, and of negotiate <laughs> with them, right but um but if you if you raise them in this in, environment where um People's rights and individuality is respected, and they they are negotiated with. Um, I think it becomes they're they I think they're inoculated against the state. It becomes very difficult for them to accept that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez has a new law that they have to follow.
1: I disagree. I have a I have a total. Disagree. <laughs> well, no, I mean Make a counter I, argument. I, no, I agree, but with the with the caveat. I, oh. Yes, don't don't raise your kids like you're the father in Footloose. Right, like don't be the like you're saying the authoritarian med is right, right. But the pe- my friends or former friends, a lot of them are raising their kids like the SJW friends. They're raising their kids sort of like the kid raises itself. The kid t- teaches me. Oh, that's not
0: what I'm talking about at all. Okay,
1: but but those those kids I think are going to look to the state. Well, because they because they
0: never grow up.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I agree with that. So. Okay.
0: So they need they need state daddy to take over when daddy is gone because they'd never grew up. Right. What I'm talking about is teaching your kids, like the non-aggression principle, Sal, you brought up, the non-aggression principle is pretty simple to teach a five-year-old. It's it's a pretty – it's a no-brainer. Kids get it, and it's very easy. Right? Five-year-olds get it, but for
2: some reason, congressmen and senators don't, and that's right. that, that's the problem.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? yeah.
2: uh, so – <laughs> sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that uh, – Two points as far as um, kids go. Number one, don't hit your kids. You know what I mean. People need to stop Thank hitting you. their children. If you if you hit your children, then they're going to grow up to uh, they're going to grow up thinking that force is the way to solve their problems, right? And I'm a, I'm a huge nerd. I'm a, I'm a big history and philosophy and economics kind of guy. So I remember from one of Plato's books where Socrates was arguing with Thrasymachus mm-hmm. over might might versus right, and Socrates proved him wrong definitively. But for some reason, like we're saying, congressmen can't understand this concept. They think yeah. because they haven't go to a municipal court. This is where you can really see this in action. Whoever has the guns, they're going to tell you what to do, and they're right because well, we know we know that uh, th- what you're being charged with is immoral. But guess what? We have the guns, and I don't have to tell you about it. Sorry, you got to you got to pay us. Yeah. Now, the other the other thing, as far as um, kids, who I want to mention briefly is state schools. I know this is so hard for people because everyone's being robbed to uh, fund these um, teachers unions, these crooked teachers unions, public employee unions. I think that if you can, private schools is a much better option. But if you, if you can, the best possible thing you do for your children is to homeschool them and keep them away from these indoctrination camps because this is where they're learning the state's version of history. I'm sorry, the state's version of history in, in air quotes.
1: <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's her story. So
2: yeah, right, right. Her story. Sorry.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but yeah, you know, that's where they learned Keynesian economics and they learned to worship Lincoln and Roosevelt and all of these monsters and Churchill. So, you know, and, uh, some places you can't even take your kids out of these schools. I know it, it's very difficult unless you have like a religious objection to things, but you know, those are just, uh, a couple things you could do to uh, make sure your kids don't grow up as violent
0: statists. Yeah, no, I, you know, I want to have a whole show about education because uh, you know, I, I, I used to be of the mindset that homeschool was for weirdos um, and like religious people who wanted to deny evolution or whatever it was. (laughs) Um, And uh, I'm telling you now as a dad, uh, homeschool is the best option. If you can figure out a way to homeschool, homeschool your kids because even a lot of private schools they're infected by the culture they're not as uh they're not as much of a prison system as a lot of the public schools are but um but they're still infected by this horrible culture they're still rewriting history they're still um teaching keynesianism and uh you know they don't they're not much better philosophically plus the
1: private schools have higher rates i think of like suicide and cutting and all that stuff oh do they yeah
0: that's because you get killed if you're weak in the public school, so you don't survive enough to cut yourself. I'm just – yes.
1: <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm like you. Carter knows this, but I used to be of the same opinion that you know, homeschool homeschoolers, at least the people I met who homeschooled when I was younger, when I was in college, or were religious um, in nature. And some of them were – I used to work at a primate center, and we used to get homeschool groups who would come in and very specifically tell us, tour guides that we couldn't talk about evolution or even talk about primate characteristics because they didn't want the kids putting two and two together and being like, Hey, we have fingernails too. Um, but so that's, that was my impression of it. And then I think, I think two things happen. I think my impression changed, but I also think that the type of people who are homeschooling has changed. Like the demographic has changed.
2: I think more people are waking up to, uh, I don't know. I can't even call it a school system at this point. I think more people wake up to the indoctrination of their children. Again, It is
0: just that because they don't really learn much.
2: No, they learn how to uh, pass these standardized tests to get their teachers a raise next year. Yeah. Um,
1: and they're learning the social justice ideology. I mean, I learned it in college. They're learning it in kindergarten now at some schools. In California absolutely. just passed something. Yeah, they, ju- they just – I was reading the headline today. I haven't read the article yet, but California where I used to live just passed something where they're going to start – um, overhauling the entire sex education program starting with the age of five,
2: and I think uh, I forget what where, what state it was in, but somebody had sent me something on Twitter that was a screenshot of their children's um, history book that showed the Bill of Rights, and they had completely changed they had completely changed the wording for the Second Amendment to make it seem like uh, it was specifically designed so that the state can have guns. Oh <laughs> <Really>? wow! The <laughs> <laughs> <Some laughs> most corrupt, crooked stuff that I've ever come across. Again, not to drop books on everybody, but um, School Revolution by Ron Paul and uh, Education, Free and Compulsory by Murray Rothbard. It's ai can't even call it a book. It's only like 50 or 60 pages. Two excellent readings on um, the subject of
0: education. Yeah, that's all. I mean, I've seen them uh, misplace or delete commas in the Second Amendment in attempts to do it, but I haven't seen like a complete rewording. That's uh, scary. That's a, oh, it's that's scary, weird. yeah. Yeah um can we can we switch subjects for a minute because this is this is um this is deep or or at least very impactful to people who haven't been exposed to this yet uh i want to look at memes because i really do think you're a meme god um and (laughs) i just i just want to share some of these memes and then i want to talk to you about the art of memeing a little bit um so let's see i'm going to describe some of them because or maybe maybe have you describe them because uh we also turned this into an audio-only podcast, so people might not know what they are. So we talked about AOC, right? I assume by now people have seen the garbage um, disposal video she made. This is just a brilliant meme. I love this meme. Do you, do you want to describe
2: it? Sure. So this is so there's basically different formats for different memes, and I could have done this one in a Drake format. I think I I forget. I stole this one, but I forget from who. But there's you could you could you could put the same inputs input the same information to a different format it'd be the same exact meme basically this is just uh the guy walking down the street with his girlfriend and he notices another girl who looks pretty cute and he looks back and his girlfriend looks at him like what the fuck man so um yeah you know there's all different formats that we that we use and uh this is a nice easy simple format that
0: i i really love yeah and it's so the boyfriend in this case is aoc and you wrote Garbage blank proposals, and his girlfriend is dis, and the one he's looking at is pro, uh, <laughs> which is great. <laughs> um, it's just this beautiful like commentary on her, uh, I don't know, on her proposals, and uh, it's funny. And her
2: stupidity. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah, and her stupidity, right? So, so that's an easy one. Um, let me look at. Hold on. Let me find. Uh, there's another one that I shared with Carrie that she loves. Also, I think I, or maybe I just explained it to you, Carrie. So.
1: Oh, no, you shared this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I shared this with you. Can you just walk, just for the audio only audience, so can you tell us what we're looking at?
2: Sure, yeah, so this is, it says the combination of colors, red and yellow, make people hungry. Then there's the McDonald's logo, the Burger King logo, the Tide, the Tide uh, (laughs) uh, logo for the SJW, sorry, Carrie. (laughs) <laughs> and, and the hammer and sickle, for, uh, in, it's all in red and yellow. So, of course, Tide, Tide Pods make um, some of our public school victims a little bit hungry, and everybody's hungry under communism. So, I thought I think this was a pretty successful meme. If I remember correctly, this one went viral.
0: This is one of my favorites. This is a great meme.
1: Okay, here's something about the, these two, the first one and this one. You, you're pretty, you put in multiple jokes and one like this one's got the dark humor with communism but it's got the tide pool eating tide pool reference or tide pod references um and the other one which is like you said it's making fun of her stupidity but also her proposals it's like
2: that's well, that's, that's the power of memes that's why people you know people laugh you oh, know it's so funny and stuff like that and it is and that's great but there's a lot of power behind memes that I don't think people are realizing because nowadays when we consume information we're consuming it in instantaneous bits, right? We don't want, nobody, only nerds like me want to sit and read a book for two days or something like that, or watch a documentary for two hours. So what people do now is when you're scrolling through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever the case may be, you get these little snapshots that you, if you can't consume the information in a few minutes or a few seconds, then you just keep moving.
0: Yep. So this is, I, I I like that you're, recognizing that the memes are more than just a joke. Cause I mean, look, I look at them to laugh because uh, they're funny, right? Um, oh, but, but
1: they're effective.
0: Funny. Absolutely. Yeah. And wow. I've heard it said that the left can't meme. Um, I don't think actually conservatives can meme very well unless they're making fun of the left. Um, can you, why is that? So there is an inherent relationship
2: between logic and memes. Um, there's another article on my blog called The Art of Mimetic Warfare. And uh, there is in, an inherent relationship between logic and memes. So the more, in other words, you look at these formats, all these different formats, there's thousands of them. Basically, that, those formats correspond to um, logical schemata. So if you look at like formal logic, which is another aspect of agorism, and you look at how arguments are constructed in different forms, uh, 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 these formats are just visual representations of these argument forms. That's all they are. So if you have a good argument and you input the information into those formats, you're gonna have a successful meme. But if you don't have any logic to your arguments, if your arguments are inherently false and illogical, you're not gonna be able to put that in meme format so that's why you see things like when the left tries to make a meme, you have like two paragraphs of text and then one picture that doesn't even relate. Or the same thing goes for the right, you know what I mean? They can't, it's very difficult for these people because their arguments are crap, they're garbage. But um, only anarcho-capitalists and agorists who have a much uh, higher threshold for logic are, are, are the ones who can actually put together a, uh, a
0: witty meme. It is interesting I mean i don't want to chalk it up to my own bias, but uh i look I follow people on the left and I follow people on the right and uh maybe it's my own bias but it it is true that it seems like only the like libertarians and beyond are the only ones that seem to consistently share memes that are actually good and funny, and i don't know if that's just my own bias but i i don't i don't care what's your experience do you see that
1: well um I used to work in comedy, by the way, Sal. And I think people on the left have lost their ability to laugh. <laughs> they've lost their sense of humor in a way. Maybe they never had it, and I just didn't realize it because I didn't have one either. Um, but they don't. They don't. Uh, they've decla- They've put ideology above humor. So how can you be funny if if the priority in any joke or meme is your ideological message? They're putting ideology above. Like your logic so i i i I think that it's if you're serving the god of ideology you can't you can't serve the god of humor i don't know but you can't but you can't you can argue
0: that some of sal's memes like the the burger king and and tide pod communism mcdonald's one that we just looked at right Mm -hmm. you can argue that he's putting a uh he's putting a thought or philosophy in front of like it's, that's, you can't just, it's not separate from the humor. It is the humor.
1: It is the humor, but he's, he's criticizing something and he's, um, he's, he's making fun. It's, it's almost like this irreverent, um, uh, uh, what's the word? Just like a very cheeky kind of making fun of something you're not supposed to make fun of. And Absolutely. that doesn't happen on the left. You can't do that. They follow the rules of what you're supposed to make fun of.
2: You know, there's, um. I can't think of the name of the paper right now, but they're, the military has caught on to this. The US military, unfortunately, has caught on to this, but I think it's okay. Um, they, they've put out a couple of papers now on mimetic warfare and memes and how effective they are in changing public opinion. And what if you read the papers, what they've concluded is that, look, we the government have to get into this because this is what's influencing people. Just like I was explaining, people want to consume information in uh, snapshots nowadays. Yeah. So they're they're trying to get on the meme game. Um, I don't think it's going to work because, and they this is something else that they've noticed is the relationship between logic and memes. But they don't have any logic, so they exactly. can try all they want. It's not going to work for them. They're just, as far as I'm concerned, this is great because they're they're expending resources into a, an area that won't pay off. So I'd rather them waste money on memes and use money to bomb children. So.
0: As yeah, as it's, a better, it's a better use of taxpayer dollars. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> unfunny memes. <laughs>
1: yeah. So I've noticed they're cracking down on memes, or it seems to me that that's the case. So the NPC meme, which was very effective, it was hilarious and and effective. And so then, what did Twitter do? They started banning it.
2: Right, because um, <laughs> you're calling them out. You're 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 showing how stupid these people are, and you know. We use their platform. We we that's true. We do we use their platform. And when we insult Jack, he has the right to tell us to go further.
0: <laughs> <laughs> does, does uh so do you uh do you think you're not long for Twitter or are they gonna go after you? I don't know.
2: I don't know. Um I I don't really hold back. I don't really I can't think of too many instances when I've that's not true, actually. There's been a couple of times where I've said, ah, maybe I'll save this for one of my smaller accounts, but more, more often than not, I say about eighty-five, ninety percent of the time, there's nothing that's 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 out of balance for me. So if they if they delete me, they delete me. What am I going to do? It's it's yeah. the way it's the way the, the cookie crumbles, I guess. But um, you know, if people want the, some more spicy memes, they can follow me on Instagram at uh, sal the agorist, with periods in between all the words. So sal dot the dot agorist, and that's okay. why some more uh, some more spicy stuff.
1: The the thing about them like cracking down on memes because they do realize how effective it is. So when Donald Trump won in 2016, I was really floored and would spent a long time trying to figure out why he won. And I'm sure you've heard this, but I've I've heard him referred to as the first president that was memed into office. <laughs> and so, you know, that's kind of simplifying the reasons why he was elected. But I do believe they recognize the power of memes in affecting culture, which affects politics now. So I think they're really trying to, I don't know, just uh, shut down humor, shut down effective memes because of the effect it has. I don't know. Right. I, I was a circular. I said effective because it's effective. Anyway. <laughs> well, Trump, uh, Trump
2: had a, um, a, nice, a nice group of meme lords supporting him from 4chan who were, I don't know if you, you guys are probably familiar with the Pepe the Frog, yeah, And uh, Pepe was really big in Trump's um, election. And now they're trying to bring him back for 2020, but they're just putting a, a rainbow-colored wig on his head now. <laughs> and I guess that's <laughs> almost to mock the, the SJWs. <laughs> I mean, I, it is funny, but um, the Pepe guys, they're just as bad as far as I'm concerned. These are um, nationalists. These are wall wall builders. These are people who are also economically illiterate, just in a different sense.
0: Yeah. And oh, you've now got the Andrew Yang meme or meme gang going oh, on. Man. Yang gang. Yeah. Um, and you're seeing a lot of that. I think actually one of your memes was uh, an Andrew Yang tweet, and you just said, fuck it, make it 2,000.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, here's <laughs> another one, though. You know, UBI is such a joke that it's, it's so simple to meme. Um, but the memes really uh, – you know, again, I'm going to drop another book on you guys. Chapter 10, Science, Technology, and Government by Murray Rothbard. Chapter 10, he deals with automation. You read chapter 10 and you'll never, ever, ever support Andrew Hang or UBI
0: ever again. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Um, I've gotten uh, more book recommendations yeah. out of discussion than I thought. So Sorry, uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge nerd. I apologize. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's great. I it's love it. Great. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I could probably just thumb through your memes and ask you about them all day long, but I don't know how. Pick <laughs> one know. more funny one. You be doing that, what?
1: Pick one more, I wanna see one more.
0: All right, <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, actually there's a pair that I wanna pick because you memed both sides uh, deservedly on this.
2: Yes, I'm so, gonna
0: say. say. I'll stick it up here. So um, you've got on the, on the left, We've got a meme that says, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the, the classic picture of the guy like wiping sweat off his forehead looking at two different buttons and not knowing which one to push. Um, and uh, on the left, it's a guy with a MAGA hat, and the two different buttons are Twitter can't refuse, service, can't refuse anyone's service, and bakers can refuse service since it's a private company, um, which is great because it, it encapsulates this idea that like uh, bakers shouldn't be regulated, but Twitter should be regulated um it's perfect and then on the right though the exact same graphic yeah minus the MAGA hat with a label that says liberals and the two buttons are bakers must bake cakes for everyone and twitter can ban anyone because it's a private company <laughs> and it's just it's a great example of both sides being uh gridlocked in this cognitive dissonance um and yeah i just i love this meme comes
2: down to consistency. It really comes down to logical consistency and uh, neither the Republicans or the Democrats, the conservatives or the liberals have it. And uh, I firmly believe that um, agorism is the only uh, political or economic philosophy that is logically consistent to the end. And that even goes for anarcho-capitalism, right? If you take anarcho-capitalism to its full extent, we're with Pinochet, we're throwing people out of helicopters. Right, that's that's the full extent. I'm
0: actually not sure what the difference between agorism and anarcho capitalism is. So maybe you can tell me because I I just kind of figure once you get to anarchy, you're at voluntarism and like you could call it anarchy whatever you want, but it's no government.
2: Very very similar the two ideas. Um, Agorism we believe in using counter economics, and sometimes you'll see anarcho capitalists participating in politics. We don't, we don't, we don't do that. But um, that's a,
0: that's a method to get to the same you're, The goal is the same. It's, it's the, the journey there. Absolutely. hundred uh, yeah. percent. Without a doubt. It's just a,
2: a agorism is a strategy to uh, achieve anarcho-capitalism.
0: Okay. And okay.
2: Another one of the more uh, obvious differences, probably the most obvious differences, most obvious difference would be in the motivation for entrepreneurial activity. So anarcho-capitalists, uh, they engage in entrepreneurial activity for the purpose of profit-seeking, which is great. Mm-hmm. We believe that you know, we understand economics and how the market directs resources and stuff like that. Agorists don't do that. We engage in entrepreneurial activity for the sole purpose of subversion. Right? When we engage in entrepreneurial activity, we are trying to uh, dismantle the state. So there's really that's, that's, that's probably the most obvious glaring difference that I can think of.
0: So I guess when I stopped being a Silicon Valley entrepreneur and started doing Unsafe Space with Carrie, I switched sides. It's, uh, I'm certainly not making profit off. <laughs>
1: yeah, of, right. off anything We're doing.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, that that makes sense. I meant to ask you actually. Um, what are some of the memes that have been most controversial or people have gotten most angry about that you've put out? Oh man. Well. By
1: the way, Carter, I think the video stuck on you. Just so you know.
0: Oh. Well, I am gorgeous, but uh <laughs> let's move that off. There we go. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> um I had to stick it there for the memes, but yeah, all right.
2: The best one the most the the most controversial ones are usually the Chris Kyle memes. People um people really worship Chris Kyle. The guy from uh was an American Sniper or something like that? So they don't so. like it when I make fun of him. I had one recently about uh the Civil War. And it was uh, this guy holding a girl down and he was force feeding her something. I labeled the the spoon. I labeled that as um, the civil war was because of slavery. And I labeled the guy as the government and the girl as the people because the civil war was not about slavery, but that's what we're taught in public school. Right. So that one really, uh, people have a hard time swallowing the fact that Lincoln was a tyrant. They have a real yeah. hard time swallowing that one. And, uh, I love, I love touching people's buttons, especially on stuff like that. So that was a uh, Chris Kyle and Lincoln memes are usually, they, they usually go over well.
0: You know, I think the fact that people get so riled up about memes, banning the NPC meme and stuff like that. I mean, it hurts when you push here. It's like, okay, <laughs> thanks for the info. Like, right, exactly. I guess I'll push there some more. Yes. Right. Uh,
2: so, Absolutely, and you know that they're they're wedded to these ideas because they're so emotionally connected. Yeah, so like you said, the more they cry, the more I'm gonna I'm gonna hit harder. That's all.
0: Yeah, because you know you're hitting the right spot. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah, awesome, Carrie. Do you have any final uh, questions for Sal? I've I've really enjoyed this, and like I said, I could just sit around and look at memes all day, but I, I don't know that that's productive.
1: <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it too. I think we this was probably the most informative conversation we've had yet for me. So, and I appreciate the book. Maybe we could, when we put this up, we could just do a little book list at the bottom of every book he mentioned.
0: Yeah, I, I will definitely do that. <laughs> and, uh, and I will also try and find that meme. Um, but uh, yeah, Sal, I am uh, slowly, slowly infecting Carrie with. Hey, uh,
1: <laughs> I think I'm slowly infecting you with Jesus.
0: <laughs> I strongly doubt it, but you know, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's how i <it> get you <laughs> go,
0: go ahead you keep keep that up <laughs> um but yeah sal thank you thank you for for coming and um and chatting with us it's been uh it's been a pleasure and it's been like carrie said super super informative it's great to meet the meme guy and find out that he's a nerd with lots of great book me- recommendations so
2: no problem guys anytime I- i'd love to come back on whenever you guys uh want me
0: uh i think there's a million things we could probably have you back on to talk about so uh, yeah. Do it. yeah thanks man you got it thank you cool. all oh, right wait, where can people follow him oh yeah yeah thank you i'll put that in
2: <laughs> uh you could i'm on patreon.com slash sal mayweather twitter at sally mayweather i'm on insta minds facebook snapchat i'm all over the place so all that stuff you go to and you can find links to everything
0: all right salviagoras.com
2: cool well thanks thank you guys
1: thanks bye guys